Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Jade. And I'm Bruna. And on this episode, we're going to talk about supporting parents who have a child with a visible difference. Amazing stuff. And we have a really great episode lined up where we get to hear from Cara's very own Maya Thornton, who will be discussing findings from her PhD research. And in the interview, we are also joined by Tina Rycroft, who works and supports a charity called Microtia UK and is a mum of four children, one of whom has Microtia. Great. And another really cool thing about this episode is that we're actually recording this episode in person, Jade. I know. I actually can't quite believe it. We've got a bit of a different setup, so we're embracing that. So the usual, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're actually really thrilled to just be back recording in person. And I think this is the first time, well, this is actually the first time that you and I have recorded in person together. Obviously, we've been in person together pre-COVID, but not not doing this. And um, yeah, since you started on the podcast, this time, no Wi-Fi issues. Hopefully, I don't freeze in real life. Yeah, I know, right? I don't quite know what to do with myself. It's been a while, but, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah, like social interactions is yeah. all quite quite new. Um, I hope I'm not too tired after today. Go home and need a nap. Uh, yeah, so great stuff. And without further ado, I think we should just get straight into the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Now, I know that we've defined visible differences numerous times before, even in the last episode, we defined what a visible difference was. But for the purpose of this episode, we just want to redefine it. So when we do say visible difference, we mean an appearance that is different to the acceptance quote unquote norm. So a visible difference can result from congenital conditions like a cleft lip or palate, an illness or disease like alopecia, an injury like a burn, or as a result of medical treatment, like a mastectomy. And we know from the visible difference research that although some young people adjust really well to having a visible difference, other children and young people might experience difficulties. So a systematic review conducted in 2015 by Elizabeth Jenkinson and colleagues found that children and young people with a visible difference, whatever the cause of their appearance difference, can experience challenges such as teasing and bullying, negative self-perceptions and you know, generalized social anxiety, really. That's right. And that can all have a really big impact on their parents, too, who obviously have to take care of them and and support them in the best way that they can. And, you know, some parents and carers adapt well to their child's difference and um, cope quite well and actually have some positive experiences, too. However, research tells us that others can experience some challenges. For example, in her research, another colleague of ours, Jennifer Heath, found the parents of children who had burn injuries reported increased stress, anger, anxiety, and also feelings of guilt and isolation following their child's burn. Yeah, and Nicholas Stock, who we heard from in last month's episode, did some research regarding parents um, of a child with a cleft lip and palate and found that fathers who received a diagnosis either pre or post birth of their child um, with a cleft quite challenging Mm. and this is also something that has been found in studies in other countries so a study conducted in South Africa by Fumzil Halongwa and colleagues in 2019 found that mothers of children with cleft lip 
and Rapala had concerns about social stigma that, that their child might face. Right. So what that tells us is that these experiences are happening for parents of children with a range of conditions, both mums and dads. And it's also showing up for parents in a whole bunch of countries and cultures, too. Yeah, that's right. And although, as Bruna did say earlier, it's worth saying again that not all parents and carers of children with a visible difference experience these challenges. And, and to add to that, parents in research do also talk about the positives of having a child with a visible difference, such as increased resilience in them and their children as well. Yeah, that's right. And I think overall, what we can conclude from what we've just said is that, you know, the experiences of parenting a child with a visible difference is really complex and, uh, you know, we need to better understand it. Exactly. And I think that is the perfect opportunity for us to to introduce our guests for this episode to help explain some of these complexities. So Maya Thornton is a PhD researcher at CAR and her research focuses on supporting parents who have children with visible differences. Maya is a fully-fledged member of the zoo. If you have no clue what I'm talking about, um, I would suggest that you have a listen back to some of our previous episodes and delve in because you'll totally understand what I'm talking about there. Um, Anyway, I digress. It is an absolute delight to have Maya on the podcast. She is my desk buddy pre-COVID. She sat opposite me and is currently in her third year of her PhD and we're just so excited to showcase her fabulous work on this episode. Yeah, it's great to have Maya on this episode. And we're also joined by Tina Rycroft, as Jade mentioned earlier. Tina is currently the non-executive director of fundraising and communications at Microtia UK, a national charity supporting individuals and families affected by Microtia. And as you'll hear, Tina has her toes dipped into a whole bunch of pools and works hard to advocate for and provide support to parents and carers who have a child with a visible difference like Microtia. And importantly, and very relevant to today's episode too, Tina is a mother herself of a child with Microtia, and she'll tell us all about that in just a second. Amazing. I think we should jump straight in. Let's do it. Hi, Maya and Tina. Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast. It's great to have you both. Hi. Hi, thank you for having us. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, For the sake of not repeating ourselves with anything, I'm going to just jump right in and go with the first question. And this one's for you, Maya. Could you please start by telling us a bit about your research with parents? And yeah, what, what kind of research it is that you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jade. So um, at CAR, we often talk about working with individuals who may have a visible difference. And and when we say that, we we mean um, people who may have a a health condition or or an injury that affects the way they look in some way. And as with kind of lots of other health conditions, those people don't exist in isolation. They have kind of people around them that support them and look after them. And um, as with other health conditions, um, people, um, individuals with visible differences the people around them can also kind of experience quite a lot when going through that there's maybe potentially treatments there's diagnosis processes Um, so we've started really looking at those people around that individual and um, for me that means kind of notably looking at kind of parents and carers and their role 
Um, so I started my PhD in 2018. Um, wow, the time has flown. That feels like <laughs> only yesterday, but quite a while ago now. But um, so I began looking at the experiences of parents and carers of children with um, visible differences or appearance affecting conditions or injuries. And kind of when I came into the field, there was some great work with parents and carers, um, notably from CAR, um, Nicholas Stock, um, with her great work with parents and carers um, of children with cleft lip and palate and also um, a fellow PhD um, member who was uh, Jen Jennifer Heath who was looking at parents and carers of children with burn injuries um, but what I kind of noticed when I started doing this work was a lot of that um, research was quite condition specific so looking at the very like nitty gritty very condition specific stuff so looking at really specific treatments or decision making which is all of course very very important um, in its own way but what we kind of I kind of also noticed there's a lot of the a lot of the parents were reporting quite similar um, concerns, worries, experiences, um, which I think we can kind of see also in the individuals' experiences. Lots of individuals with visible difference experience similar things, even though the conditions or injuries might be quite different. Um, so I started to think about whether there were kind of things that crossed condition, cross condition experiences that parents and carers were having that maybe we could look a little bit more into. And maybe if we did find that there were similarities across conditions and injuries, we could develop support that kind of could cross across conditions and injuries. And that means that if there are conditions that are less less um, common or, or more rare, like a lot of a lot of visible differences are, there are some kind of really rare conditions there, then we can support those people as well, as well as the the parents and carers of the of the children with the more common conditions. Um, so what I did was um, I started kind of exploring this idea of whether there are these similarities between the experiences of different um, parents and carers. Um, so I started off with some kind of uh, interviews, some focus groups, some very like exploratory um, questions around um, what the experience was very generally, just kind of asking people to tell me their stories. And I started um, with these kind of interviews and focus groups with lots of different conditions and injuries so I could compare and kind of listen to, to all the different perspectives. And, and what I did find was that actually a lot of those parents, regardless of um, what condition or injury their child had, what the cause was and kind of what the uh, nature or extent of it was, that they were actually all experiencing very similar things. Um, kind of a lot of stuff around social challenges, um, lots of um, concerns around things like teasing, bullying, kind of social exclusion, kind of into later life as well, even if their child was very young. Um, lots of parents also talked about um, kind of that very like initial period when they found out their child had a had a, a conditional injury that might affect their appearance. Kind of talking about the the initial anxiety around that and 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 the shock and. Um, what that was like, particularly in the early days. And that was, again, very similar across different conditions or injuries. So that was, you know, something that um, I noted. And lots of parents, when I'm talking about them being concerned about these social challenges, they were also really worried about how to best prepare their children for kind of managing the, the big wide world, basically, sort of um, how do I kind of arm my child with the tools to um, deal with potential challenges? Um, how do I help them to learn how to talk about their condition or injury? Um, and that's something that a lot of parents, regardless of condition or injury, were very, very focused on and wanted a lot of guidance around that. And they felt at the moment that wasn't really there. Um, 
so that's that's a big kind of main theme that came out of that research and I'm now kind of working towards um, exploring that further and also sort of developing some support around kind of those challenges and experiences that parents kind of told me about. Great honestly so much there and such interesting work like you said Maya building on like that gap making it just a cross condition very broad and really hearing the voices of the people the parents and who are you know like you say also involved in this so on that note just thinking as well like Tina we want to hear from you about you know the lived experience linking so well to Maya's research and also you were involved um, in Maya's research giving the the feedback throughout so we'd love to hear about your side so could you tell us a bit more about your son's condition and kind of what impact this has had on you and your family more broadly? Yes, yeah, so uh, my second son, Charlie, was born with left-sided microtia atresia in 2011. Uh, and microtia is an undevelopment of the ears and it affects the hearing. So when Charlie was born, I'd never heard of microtia or even seen someone with an undeveloped ear. So it was all new and it was a bit overwhelming at times. Yeah, so for the first month, uh, he was sort of left as he was. And then we suddenly got lots of different appointments with different specialists and it was a lot to take in and understand being a, a young mum of two at the time. Um, and I actually had one lady tell me um, in her own words, it was, he's disabled and you won't be able to cope with any more children, which she's wrong because I've gone on to have two more boys. I've got four in total and and he's fine. He's coped fine. So, and that was awful to hear at the time. You know, it was a, quite upsetting. It's always stuck with me that she said that. Um but despite all of the initial struggles and all the information that we had to learn, Charlie's gone on to be an amazing ambassador for the Microish UK charity, and he's raised over £3,000 for them. Uh, he talks at their events, and he's done a lot, a lot of raising awareness over the years. He has a lot of friends, and he loves just being him, and he wouldn't change a thing, and neither would I. I'm really proud of him. Uh, and I just love Maya's, what she's doing. I could totally relate so when she did get in touch with us I was like yeah I'm getting involved with that you know not just from a charity's perspective but as a parent as well because it just it was just relatable and I totally agree with everything she says you know we, I've gone through all of that and like she says a lot of parents have felt the same and some are too scared to admit you know that it's a, you know it's hard and it's sometimes a lot to take in others have been fine and cope fine but it's great to have that research and understanding out there yeah no it's just it's such a so great to have someone like Tina involved because you know she's you know, as she said she's gone through it all and the, the lived experience is super important um, for the research and I think we'll go on to talk a little bit more about that later and kind of how she's been involved um, and how other parents have been involved but yeah it's just so and and I think she raises a really good point there as well in that um, not all parents do experience these challenges and that some kind of families adjust really well even if there is an initial period of kind of difficulty like you were describing Tina around um, when 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 Charlie was born but um, but it is really helpful for me to hear that lived experience of of the of some of the difficulties, but then all of the really positive stuff that's come as well. And that is something that also did come through in the in the, in the research that um, lots of children kind of exhibit lots of resilience, and that is something that parents really want to instill. That's kind of the focus, that confidence and resilience. Yeah, I can I completely echo what Maya said as well, and it was 
so great for you to share that as well, Tina, your experience, like we say, and it's so important in research as well that we include these voices, that we continue to have this input from people who have lived these experiences. And yeah, that's goes without saying such a value. And and so I wonder as well, Tina, you have had like you do so much work you, like I said earlier you've got fingers in multiple pies and so I was wondering if you could also describe some of the work for a, a charity that supports individuals and families affected by this condition um and could you tell us a little bit more about yeah what kind of happened well how you become involved what kind of steps led up to that Yes, so it was back in December 2017. Uh, Charlie and I were fundraising for My Crochet UK at the time, and a job opportunity came up on the Charities Family Support page on Facebook, which is My Crochet Mingle UK. Uh, and I thought, oh, why not go for it at the time? You know, I wasn't working. I'd left my job um, as a nursery teacher. So I thought that's obviously something that interests me. You know, why not? Um, and I love my job, the support we give, not just to children and adults born with my crochet, but their extended family and friends who do get in touch and we give them support. The charity pride themselves on giving support from emailing, talking, having a Zoom and meeting up. We do encourage people to make new connections by attending our family fun days where lots of different experts will come and talk. Maya being one and for the families to meet in small groups. We fund my crochet related research to help further knowledge and understanding as well. Uh, yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> Great. And like you said, it's so good to have seen it develop from 2017. And obviously, um, during COVID and as these things have happened and having to adapt and, and yeah. all that's a whole I think it's a whole nother episode in itself but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah on that note and kind of linking to what I said as well before Maya I was wondering if you could kind of describe a bit about the role of public involvement in in your parent research and how that played out for you yeah yeah absolutely and, and Tina's kind of touched a little bit on it on and kind of her involvement as well and we've mentioned it and and the importance of having people who have lived experience involved in research kind of throughout so um in terms of my research I um when I very went back way when when I started I um got in touch with parents quite early on um who might want to have kind of advise and be involved in research. So the idea was that I um, kind of started to think about what I wanted to do with kind of this stream of research, this kind of PhD project overall. And I kind of sent out some adverts to our kind of charities that we work very closely with saying, I'm really looking for parents who um, would like to be involved kind of in more in the design and de development and giving advice but and providing their lived experience to the research. And um, so I've so I had this this lovely advisory group who have, have come on board with this research, who Tina is a, is a wonderful part of. And they've been working very closely with me um, throughout. And I think the main thing about public involvement in research is that it's a very collaborative um, process um, in that um, I bring the kind of research know how, but my 
parent advisors, they bring the real lived experience. They bring the kind of um, checking that things are sensitive and accessible and also relevant. Am I am I going down the right path? Those kinds of things. Do they resonate um, so that research is done more with people rather than kind of on people so that the research outputs are uh, much more kind of meaningful and relevant and can have a real impact in their communities. And I found that, you know, it's been so invaluable to have um, parents on board. I think when I get to, you know, and parents have been involved in loads of different stages, kind of Tina in particular has been involved in um, all the different stages of my PhD. She's kind of been alongside me and, and all of them have been great in kind of looking at um, materials. So, for, for example, when I'm designing like an interview schedule, uh, you know, I can ask Tina and my other members of my parent advisory group, you know, do these questions make sense? Are they relevant? Are they sensitive? Um, is the language kind of accessible? And that really kind of improves the quality of the research. And also, but it also kind of checks for any kind of ethical issues as well to make sure that I'm doing good kind of ethical research. Um, and um, Tina's also been involved recently in doing some recruitment with me, kind of advising on recruitment. She also recorded an excellent um, recruitment video with me. We had some giggles around bloopers and outtakes, which was excellent fun. Um, but that was kind of all adapting to COVID, which we um, did together. And, they, and the parenting advisory group also speaking about COVID gave me some great advice around kind of like, including COVID questions and things like that in my work. So they've been um, really invaluable. So thank you to Tina and the rest of my parent advisors on this project. I completely agree as well. And I think another thing to add to that, because there are so many benefits that public involvement can have, and Maya, you listed them beautifully. But another thing is like, that you two have clearly built up such a, you know, a, a relationship beyond, you know, in a sense of being able to help each other with research and the, the whole lived experience beyond just research itself which is which is great to see and it's great like you two are here today to discuss and that's kind of because of what has happened because of this public involvement too so on that note I wondered as well what it was like for you Tina and working and being involved in in this project and and Maya's research. Yeah, I've enjoyed supporting Maya for a few years now, um, not just from the charity's perspective, but like I say, as a parent, anything to do with raising awareness or helping in any way, shape or form, I love to get involved with. And that's why I have my fingers in so many pies. <laughs> um, and I've helped her, like she said, uh, I've helped her to create recruitment videos, sent feedback. Um, she's come to our events uh, and I'm currently developing support materials for our next venture together. Uh, and I know that Maya really appreciates my support, so I don't mind at all because what she's doing is great. And what I'm doing is just a little bit compared to what she's actually doing for us. So it's fab. I think it's both like you're both obviously creating such a you know beautiful kind of collaboration in a sense of bringing a lot of one thing and a lot of another I think this needs to happen more too I don't know if you want to comment Maya on anything there I was just gonna say it's not it's not a little thing at all Tina you bring so much to this project as do all my all my parent advisor it's you know I hope very much a kind of a partnership and and uh and it's it's and like I say it's kind of like a two-way street as well because um I really enjoy coming to events and um, particularly that family fun day that you mentioned earlier. It's one of those things that I'll always remember as like a really positive um, experience that I had as part of this work. And it was wonderful to meet all the families and it was just a really lovely environment. So, yeah, it's 
been a, a really wonderful collaboration, I think, between kind of parents and, and researcher. Completely. And I want to just talk about, because actually, Tina, you mentioned there some of the, the next steps that you have planned. And, and so, Maya, what are the kind of next steps for your parent research? Yeah, so like I said, this is um, a couple. Of, this project is a couple of years old now, and and PhDs in general um, tend to be three-ish years, um, depending on sensitive, uh, sensitive topic. Um, so, um, so I'm kind of coming to the end of this PhD process now. So I've done a couple of studies, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so we're we're really kind of coming up to the end phases now. So the aim for the final year of this project is to take everything that I um, we've learned um, from kind of all the stories told by parents and all the, you know, great work that we've done together um, and turn that into some support materials, some new support materials for parents and carers. And we, uh, the uh, and the way that I want to do that is very, very much in collaboration with parents. So, so Tina mentioned that she's going to be involved in in some um, support development um, with me. So the idea is that I'm, I'm kind of setting up some workshops and discussion with parents to discuss this process of support development and kind of really get their input into what they think should go into it, how what the like the format should be, how it should be worded, what are the topics that are the, the things that really kind of resonate in terms of support. Um, and as well as this kind of very core um, group of parents who I hope to be meeting with kind of over the next few months, um, I'm also going to be looking at a later stage for kind of wider feedback from parents and and, and also health professionals who work with um, families who um, have uh, a child with an appearance affecting condition or injury. Um, once I've finished that initial design and, and writing stage that we're we're going to be working on together um, as a as a group, I'm going to be looking kind of much broader for kind of more brief feedback, but. Um, so if there's anyone who's interested in potentially seeing some some new support materials and giving some some feedback on the early versions, um, watch this space and there'll be uh, some more information on that. But I'm really just hoping to develop something that's going to be accessible and useful for parents um, that addresses their kind of current concerns of, of parents of children with all kinds of conditions and injuries as well. Yeah, very exciting, Maya, and great how, like you're saying, this PhD is developed and, and the stages it's gone through. And it's really good that there's something at the end that, you know, parents that can have and access. So um, definitely agree. Watch this space. And now, Tina, just wondering if there's anything to add in terms of your hopes and what you'd like to see with parents support in the, it going forward in the future, really. Yeah, so I hope that with support from people like Maya, that we can uh, keep developing different support documents and that we can send them to families and clinics and hospitals across the UK. And then as a charity, we will keep growing and supporting more people. Um, we have got the new parents guide available on the website that people can have a look at. And that's full of lots of information. And we are about to start developing a school or education leaflet, if you will. So it's for people who struggle to speak to maybe the teachers should introduce, you know, my child has my crochet or is uh, deaf and uh, they can take that document as a talking point or just to pass it on to teacher of the deaf or, you know, or universities, colleges, that sort of thing. So hopefully later this year, fingers crossed, that will be developed and released as well as a new document. So and we just look forward to what the future holds now. 
Great and lots of great work like on either end here and um, as well we will link to the parents guide that you mentioned in the show notes um, and, and the website uh, from Microsha UK and um, yeah also very exciting about the the teachers thing that that links to some of the research that I've been doing with regards to teachers needing that support so I definitely can see how these all link up very nicely and there's lots of great work that is clearly happening um, so on that note, I think that will be a time to, to wrap this episode up. Before I do wrap it up, I want to finish with a classic um, Appearance Matters podcast question that we ask all our guests. And so we normally ask them that on a car coffee morning, which usually used to happen in person way back when, which seems like a lifetime ago, what cake would you have brought to our car coffee morning? So it doesn't have to be specifically cake. It could be any sweet treat, sweet goods. Um, so I might start with Maya, given that she she's attended one before, might have a head start here. <laughs> no, I, I always love this question. Whenever I'm listening to the podcast, I always really am excited to hear people's um, cake cake choice. Same. So I, I, over lockdown, I got really into baking cookies, like the chewy, like big cookies. And I feel like I've really like honed that recipe and perfected that. So I would bring like uh, a nice big batch of um, chocolate chip cookies, I think. Oh, I like the dunkability that that has, because I always mm-hmm. like yes. to bring in something like a tea and that is dunkable. Um, Very dunkable. Yeah. Highly appreciate that. Tina, what would you like to bring to our hypothetical car coffee morning? <laughs> so uh, I would bring my, oh, my go-to pudding is a brownie, nice warm chocolate brownie. It's making me drool now. Um, <laughs> so I would bring a nice warm brownie, a nice batch of that with some ice cream for the side. Mm. Oh, that you know, sounds great. Yeah, the ice cream is a good touch. Is there a particular flavor ice cream that you would opt to choose? my favorite that I tr- that I tried once at a restaurant was chocolate orange ice cream it just tasted like Terry's chocolate orange it was amazing I quite liked it it's just a little sideline yeah <laughs> genius and I think that really complements the brownie to be honest as well yeah, so it was nice <laughs> brownie is a top favorite of the, our research center so it would unequivocally go down very well and also I suppose relatively dunkable so not the ice cream but anyway (laughs) brilliant and yeah like I said it was great to have you both on and really appreciate yeah you sharing your experiences from the research and the live side and I love the fact that this collaborative work has happened and and it's great that you've been able to share it today so thank you both once again thank thank you. you for having us Jade it's been brilliant thank you I just really loved the dynamic of that interview and both the researcher, so Maya um, explaining, yeah, the research side of things, as well as Tina really bringing that lived experience and the application of the research to being a parent. Um, But as I mentioned, I just really enjoyed the rapport that that Maya and Tina have built up throughout the years. You can clearly see both their passion to help support parents of children with a visible difference. And I think that really shone through to me. So it was just an absolute pleasure to speak to them both. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's so important, you know, that dynamic that you mentioned. And I also really love the interview setup with the researcher and the lived experience perspectives. It was great to see them both come together. And I think it's a great way to showcase a range of experiences within the podcast. And, you know, I hope we're able to do some more of this going forward. Yeah, I would really like that too. And well, I guess that is all we have time for on this episode. I am off to actually finish writing the final draft of my PhD thesis. You've got this. <laughs> Thanks. Um, for the listeners, I am at the final stages of writing my PhD and I'm aiming to submit next month. So please just send happy thoughts. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you've got this, Jade. As I said, I just can't believe how quickly time flies. I know it will be you next, Bruna. Just yeah, saying. yeah. Let's not let's not dwell too much on that one, eh? <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Um, so, as ever, thank you so much to uh, Maya and Tina for joining us on this episode, and thank you to you guys for listening to Appearance Matters, the podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please remember to share, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find the podcast and gives us a little boost to keep doing what we do. Yeah, it really does. And remember, you can keep up to date with all of our centre's work on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And all those links are in our bio. Until next time. Bye. bye.